Are you struggling to keep believing in Jesus? Are you having trouble keeping going in the Christian faith? Hello and welcome again to the God's Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and uh, today we're looking at Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 to 13. And as usual, I'm joined once again by Rido, the Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, New Zealand. Ian, welcome back and hi. Hello, Brent. Are you enjoying summer in New Zealand? I am, definitely. You're looking suitably tanned. Oh, thank you. I saw the sun, so that was enough. <laughs> it looks as though it's seen you too. Uh, did you get sunburnt this summer, by the way? Always. Yeah, there's always the once, you know, you kind of, not on the first day, you always get sunburnt. We should add uh, for listeners, and other, well, other people in other parts of the world will have more sun than we have here. So anyway, well, it is easy to get sunburnt in New Zealand if you're not wearing a hat or a sunscreen or whatever. Ian, in what ways is Hebrews written to a community of Christians who are struggling to persevere? That's what we've seen through the whole book, I think, is that uh, you, ha- you have this group of people, whether they're a part of a synagogue or not, that's, that's possibly their context and what's going on there. They're working out who Jesus is. And as they've been working out who Jesus is, it's possible that some are thinking, I'll go back to my Jewish roots. I'll go back to the traditions uh, of, following Jesus, of following the law rather than following Jesus uh, because we don't think it's worth it. And so they're kind of working that stuff out. What have we been told so far about faith and perseverance in the previous chapter, in chapter 11? Well, what, we've, what we saw in chapter 11 in particular was that all of these characters of the Old Testament, what are they doing? They're looking forward uh, to Jesus coming, basically. Uh, they're all looking forward, as we saw and we talked about, was the alternate reality that God, God's alternate reality was becoming real. It was coming and entering this world and it was uh, making itself known and real, which is Jesus. And so what um, all we saw was that the writer of Hebrews is showing these people that everyone in the Old Testament was hoping for Jesus to come. Don't go back to following the law because that is not where salvation is found. Everyone in the Old Testament was waiting for Jesus to come. Okay, we read on and we're looking today at uh, verses 1 to 13 of Hebrews chapter 12. And I'll read the first three verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, I love that phrase, Mm. cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, Arito, how do these first three verses of chapter 12 bring the argument about faith to a conclusion? Well, it kind of shows what the the argument has been about. It's, It's kind of showing us why the writer of Hebrews has been kind of telling us about all of these characters and about why faith is so important and where to look in your faith. Uh, but there's, such, there's such good verbs in there, aren't there? There's some really brilliant verbs in there. And look at, look at them all. The lettuce, lettuce, this is another salad passage. It is another salad mm. passage, isn't it? I was going to say that too. Mm. That, but you have, you know, lay aside every weight uh, and sin. Let us run with endurance. All these great verbs, you know, kind of coming through of where our hope needs to be, where our faith needs to be, and where does it need to be? It needs to be in Jesus. What are we actually instructed to do by the writer to the Hebrews in these verses? Let's look, look at those 
kind of few verbs there. You've got lay aside every weight and sin that clings closely, run with endurance. So one is you've kind of got there's some mixed metaphors going on here, but but you've got this idea of taking you, you we're kind of running along and we're taking off the clothing that we don't need and we're putting our eyes on the thing uh, that we're running towards and this idea of getting rid of all this weight, all the sin that that's kind of holding us back and putting our eyes on Jesus who set before us. Yeah, how, how does the writer of Hebrews use running and race imagery in this passage? Yeah, because you've got there, look at uh, also in verse 2, looking to Jesus, you know, this idea of we're heading towards this goal uh, in, in kind of before us. And when you run, you want to run towards that goal. That's the idea is that we're running to Jesus. And as you fix your eyes on that thing, everything else becomes unimportant around you. What do we need to do then with things that are hindering us from following and abiding in Jesus? Throw them aside. It says, that sounds really easy, doesn't it? Get rid of your sin. Okay. That sounds so easy, doesn't it? But is the image of a, a, presumably he's using the image of a runner in the, in the games, mm -hmm. in the Roman games, possibly literally throw it. How did they run in those days? Probably naked. But like the Greeks and the Spartans. (laughs) Um, I remember reading in my classics when I was at university about the Spartans who used to exercise in the all together, as we would say. Yeah, yeah, it, it's an interesting image. Thanks for that that you've given us. But you do, you do definitely have that idea of that when you, and this is one of the things that when you put your eyes on something, that's often what you head towards. And so if you put your eyes on sin, you often head towards sin. It's this kind of weird kind of thing that goes on as a human being. But if you put your eyes on something that's good and positive, you'll head towards that. And all the other stuff just tends to go away. Like you, you stop thinking about sin. You, you stop practicing kind of certain habits that, that might be negative or, or whatever it is because your eyes are on the right thing. And the thing that we've been told to put our eyes on is Jesus. And look there in verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against you so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That, that idea of running towards something, it's difficult. That, that running is difficult. But when you consider what he went through, uh, that that gives you encouragement to endure what's going on. How then do we fix our eyes on Jesus? What what does that look like? Yeah, I think it, it's it's kind of the normal Christian practices. Yeah, kind of. It doesn't sound very astounding, doesn't it? Well, there's that beautiful old hymn, "Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full on His wonderful face." Mm. And I think it's it's about being part of a community of of, of Christians who are together running towards Jesus, so encouraging one another to do that. I think it's about opening God's word where we find, um, you know, where we encounter him. It's about being prayerful and open to to uh, kind of communicating with God in that kind of way. Uh, and it's about understanding and knowing who he is and kind of experiencing that and his presence kind of in our lives. How does Jesus show us how to persevere and endure hardship? Because this is an important theme in the Hebrews, as we saw last week, this business of persevering and enduring hardship. It's a, this is a similar thing that, that crops up in 1 Peter, where when we look to Jesus and what he went through, uh, it actually gives us, uh, and he was able to endure it to the end, and in a much uh, kind of more difficult situation than even we might face, uh, that it gives us hope that someone has walked before us. I don't know if you've ever kind of done any adventure sport or anything like that, but when you watch someone do something before you, it makes it so much easier. You know, you don't want to be the first person to jump off the cliff. You know, you don't want to be the the first person to kind of abseil that rock. Or have you ever bungee jumped? I haven't bungee. I'm not really interested. In, in, have you, you? Presumably, you've been abseiling. Have you? 
Um, yes, yes, many, many times. Uh, we were just recently... Down the side of a rock in Australia. Uh, yeah, number, numbers of rocks. Uh, how, how, what's the biggest abseil, if, if that's the oh, way of putting it? I can't it. remember. How, how, how high were you off the ground? Pretty high. <laughs> I can't remember. But we, uh, we were recently in Gisborne uh, on the east coast here and there's a, a railway bridge that you can jump off in the city unused railway bridge and everyone kind of jumps off it and my kids said you jump off it first dad and then we'll follow you <laughs> so i went oh, over there gee, that's nice isn't it <laughs> i went and jumped off the mm. j- jumped off it straight away because i've done much of that stuff before and none of them jumped after me <laughs> i was just like i was stuck in the water saying come on come down uh, okay, yeah, right, okay. Verses 4, did we answer that question then? How does Jesus show us how to persevere and endure hardship? Well, he's, he gone, went, he's, he's gone, gone before, before us. Yeah, right? yeah. And mm. so when you see mm. someone else going before you, you go, mm. oh, actually, he made it to the end. And, and mm. um, it turned out, you know, I can't say he didn't die because he did die. <laughs> but, you know, he, kind of, he, he, he went through death uh, and, and was resurrected that, oh, okay, even if this uh, kind of pain and suffering that I have to go through does lead to death, it will not. It is not the end. That actually, there is hope even beyond that. Mm. Verses four to eleven. Then uh, we carry on. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So how is the section of the passage in a bit of an aside in the argument? Well, you've got kind of this, the first part talking about um, kind of the conclusion to, to faith and, and the purpose of it is to, to continue on. Then you've got this aside where he is talking about uh, discipline and God's discipline in your suffering. And then, then towards the end of chapter 12, we'll kind of return to, to some of that other argument. But it's interesting in this little bit, he kind of flips the hardship they're going through on its head. And he kind of says, actually, it's God bringing that this into your life to do something for you you know he's not saying that god is the cause of it in the sense of um you know god is god is sinning or god is making you you know kind of being the one who, who is making you suffer but he's saying god is going to use is using this for the purpose of discipline yeah how does this section answer the question of why christians suffer in this world well it's pretty clear i i think that it's god's purpose to discipline you and what is he doing? He's honing you uh, in a way, kind of reshaping you to see that he is faithful, he is trustworthy, and he will take you all the way through. That that kind of salvation isn't about coming, coming to know God and then everything's kind of made perfect. You are being made perfect. Remember, if we 
skip back a couple of chapters. And how is God going to do that? You must have to go through certain forms of discipline for that to happen. And so that's why God disciplines us, presumably. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't like to think about it like that way, do we? That this hardship that comes into my life is actually God kind of doing something good in me. I don't like it. I, you know, I don't want hard, you know, kind of hard things to come into my life or any form of suffering. But it's saying that God is bringing this into your life uh, as a way of honing you, of just, dis- uh, of dis- almost discipling you, so that you can become more like Him. Mm. How does the writer use quotes there from Proverbs and Job? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that the writer in Hebrews never directly kind of says, oh, as it says in the Psalms, or as it's, you know, kind of, it just kind of pops up with these little quotes here and there, doesn't it? But look at, look at what it says. My son, do not regard lightly this discipline, Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. He kind of takes different quotes and kind of pushes them together and to, to make the point, which is kind of interesting. You know, I was told never to do that you kind of as a, as a preacher and to be really careful about how to, when you quote other parts of the Bible. But, hey, they're writing the Bible so they can do what they like. Well, this was all part of it, but this was all part of the rabbinical way that rabbis in the mm. Jewish world handled the Old Testament texts. And they did, there was a tradition and many traditions uh, where they did bring together verses. And that was a, a, a quite accepted way. Of, of conducting the discussion. Yeah, they're allowed to do it. We're not, yeah. basically, yeah, is yeah, how it yeah. works, isn't it? But what it, it would have been, been, been acceptable to What, them, what do they call it? Um, it's, um, it's got a particular name. Uh, midrash is okay. the word I'm looking for, yep. I think. So what's the goal of God's discipline there in verse 10 then? Yeah, what, what is God trying to do? You know, what does he really want for you in his life? Does he want kind of you to be happy, you know, kind of for you to, to be rich and wealthy. No, he's not interested in that. He's interested in something kind of much more important, much more uh, eternal in that kind of way. Let, let me read verse 10 again. For they, dis- for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. He's talking about earthly parents. Uh, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Man, that, that is the riches beyond all riches. And I know that's hard to see right now, isn't it? That holiness is the riches beyond all riches. But this is what Hebrews has all kind of been heading towards, that we are sharing in God's holiness. His holiness infects us uh, when we come into relationship with him because when we are infected by his holiness, that is when we find joy, that is when we find peace with him, peace with, with each other. And it, it really, it's when we become true human beings almost too. How, though, do we share in God's holiness? Yeah, I think there's kind of a deeper... Thing that that's, that goes on in that 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 sharing in His holiness is actually sharing in who God is Himself. Uh, that God, at His very essence and being, is holy, uh, and if we are to be with Him and participate in relationship with Him, we must also be holy. But that is actually a good thing for us. That when we get to know God, when we get to love Him, when we get to actually spend time with Him, it is good for us. How is God preparing us then, I wonder, for the new creation? Yeah, it's a good question, isn't it? That when we see a vision of that new creation, particularly in Revelation 21 and 22, uh, as the heaven, heavens descend, there's kind of this idea that it's this new beautiful city, uh, but the whole place is like a temple. It's all holy. You also have that kind of idea in Zechariah, towards the end of Zechariah, uh, that this, this whole place is a place of worship, it's a place of holiness, uh, but it's also a place of relationship. 
when when I think of the word holy, I don't think of the word relationship. That I think of the opposite, actually. That God must be distant from us, but because God has made us holy, it's the opposite. It actually brings us closer to Him. Are we being trained for heaven, then, Rito? Trained for heaven? Do you think? Yeah, ultimately, it must be what's going on. Uh, that and. I have often said that that churches are kind of like God's gyms. Mm. That 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 they're they're the way the place where God allows us to experience grace, to live out grace, but to also for sin to get to kind of get knocked off us. That churches shouldn't be places where sin isn't, but churches should be places where sin is actually is kind of gets dealt with, uh, because they're, they're places where we are being we are being trained, and as we come into relationship with other people. Um, sin's going to come up, and that, that's how it is. But also, there should be places of grace. How should we then view hardship in the light of heaven and the new creation? What do you say to someone who's listening to this podcast in whatever part of the world who's enduring real... I mean, we're sitting comfortably in the West, more or less, but we know we have listeners in, in other parts of the world, and they really may be suffering intensely. How do, what do we say to people then who are suffering hardship in the light of this? I think that's where Hebrews as a whole is such a good book for people who are going through hardship because these people also went through hardship. These, this, this, it's not an uncommon experience for Christians throughout history to go through suffering, to go through hard times. I think the, the, this period in the West, or at least the last maybe 50 or 200 years, is abnormal rather than the normal kind of thing. Uh, that, the, that the non-suffering... Uh, of the um, that we've experienced in the Western Church, although I think there are forms of suffering, particularly around apathy and the difficulty of dealing with that in our culture, uh, but the, the the lack of physical and you know kind of governmental you know kind of imposition on us as a church is abnormal rather than normal, and I think you kind of you, you see passages like this and find encouragement in that 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 what is God doing through these. He's counted you worthy to go through this hardship. He's counted you worthy to, to be disciplined and trained. And actually, you have something to offer the wider church. You have something to offer all Christians around the world uh, in, in showing that, no, these things are true. These are things that are worth upholding. Uh, and what is God doing? He's refining you and the church uh, to be his, glo- his glorious possession. Mm. In verse 11 there, how does discipline produce a harvest of righteousness and peace? I've found that discipline doesn't do that in me <laughs> very often, does it? It's usually grumbling that it produces. But isn't that, that's the thing that, that God is trying to do, that you go through this painful thing uh, and then when you reflect on it over time, you go, yes, that was worth it. I, I, yes, you, you don't go, I want to go back to that, do you, when you go through suffering. But you can say, you can look back and, and say, yes, God has been refining me. He's been honing the things that I've really, I was really trusting in and showing me them, that I was trusting in myself or other things for my security, but I can really see what God is doing. He's, he's reshaping me and I can rejoice in that and rejoice in the righteousness that he's bringing. As you speak, I'm reminded of my dad who passed away, what, about eight years ago now, who uh, not long before he passed, uh, had a, had a conversation with him, and he said, "You know, you remember that time in your life when you were small, when I put you through X, Y, Z. He hadn't done anything wrong, but he was obviously it was on his mind uh, that it wasn't a particularly happy school experience that I'd had, for example. And I'm not sure whether I got that right. And I I paused and I said, "Well, yeah, you did, because at the time it was tough, and I didn't like it, 
but there was tremendous blessing that's come from it. And if you hadn't done it, if you hadn't, um, if you hadn't taken that decision, my life would have been infinitely the poorer. Mm. Yeah, that, that's often the difficulty as a parent. You yeah. kind of in that is the, is mm. understand the wisdom of what's going to be positive and what's going to be a negative experience. Yeah. But in God's wisdom, isn't that the thing that He's the perfect parent that He He will bring things into your life not to break you, uh, but to kind of to disciple and discipline you in a way that's going to be positive, ultimately will be positive. Yes, and so how does struggle and hardship in this life, Rito, produce something sweet in the future? I don't know, when I've gone through difficulties, one, one thing that kind of um, it stirs up in me is hope. I look to the future and I see uh, that I really cry out to God, you know, kind of come Lord Jesus. Um, and so it, 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 it stirs up in me hope of the reality of what, what God is doing, whether that's the injustice of the situation or whatever it is or the difficulty of the situation, uh, that I look forward to that. But at the same time, God doesn't just extract you from that situation. He leads you through that. So there's another aspect of it that he's, he's shaping you in those situations to be more like him and to be righteous. Mm. Verses 12 and 13 of chapter 12. Therefore, lift your drooping, I love this. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. <laughs> I shouldn't say this, it always reminds me of Spike Milligan and the Goon Show. Mm. But, you know, strengthen your knees, Jim. I should, I should probably cut that bit out, but it always reminds me of that. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of your joint, but be put out of joint. But let's start that again. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Now, how does the writer use Isaiah chapter 35 here? Well, you've got there in verse 13, the quote there, make level paths for your feet so that the lame um, may not be disabled, but rather healed. And this is what God is doing. You kind of, you've got this idea uh, in Isaiah of the people kind of returning to God and of God healing them and I mean which is picked up uh, in with Jesus you know on a, in a number of kind of occasions which is quite interesting uh, but that idea of these weak feeble people are strengthened by God how do we strengthen our feeble arms and our weak knees well you go to the gym I guess so just yeah <laughs> uh, you know, I it's got to be the same thing that we, that, that, that we, we need to look to Jesus, the one who, who is the one who gives us strength, ultimately. Yeah, to what extent is our race, you've already referred to this a bit earlier on, but to what extent is our race a team effort then, our Christian race? Is, to what extent is it a team effort? Yeah, it's a, good, that's a, it's a good question, isn't it? That we don't run alone. We're not kind of the lone runners, you know, kind of out there, but we do it together, that God gives us communities uh, and communities of different people with different gifts, uh, even kind of different levels or strengths, you know, in terms of of, the, of, of faith, that, that there's, there's people who are further along the way who come and help us in, in our own running and, and kind of our, our own kind of uh, discipleship and discipline. And so it's kind of the, this, this sense of we're in this together, that you don't need to run alone. I'm reminded of those team running efforts that you probably had at school. We certainly did in New Zealand, where you you ran a certain distance and then handed the um, the torch to somebody else. Yep. It was like a kind of team effort. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah. it, it would be impossible not to. And this is the one of God's graces is the church ultimately in communities uh, that try and serve God together. 
How can our church then help us run the race? Well, firstly, I think it needs to be a church that opens the Bible regularly uh, and sets our eyes on Jesus, as what's been being said in this passage, that if we don't put our eyes on Jesus and if we're not regularly in uh, committed with another group of people who are doing the same thing, then our eyes will quickly go off Jesus. I know, you know, kind of for myself, that if if I don't put my eyes on Jesus, I'm I'm terrible. <laughs> kind of, I, I go I go away, you know, looking at other things. But then my heart goes with it, you know, kind of in terms of where my hope is, where my security is. Things worry me around the world, you know, whatever, you know, kind of. If I'm not regularly opening the Word and particularly opening it with other people who are reminding me of the gospel, who are reminding me of God's grace, reminding me of his love for me. How can, um, I'm thinking of pastors, other pastors and churches around the world, Rito, how can, um, how can they help train their church to run? Well, open the word. <laughs> Not literally run out the <laughs> well, door. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be open the Bible, doesn't it? You know, that, that is the thing you do every Sunday up the front. It's the thing you do in your small groups. It's... You have to be opening the word and you have to be training people to read it mm. as well. Mm. That's not only you're not the one who is the the kind of the holder of all the secrets, that you're actually training people to do that for themselves too and, and find God's mystery and, and, and um, kind of riches in his word and allow people to see that. Uh, coming to the end of the show, why do we need to collectively fix our eyes on Jesus? Because if we don't, we'll quickly go astray. It, it's pretty easy, isn't it, that... When you put your eyes on something, that's what you head towards. And if we're worried about sin, if we're worried about you know, kind of things in our lives, even suffering that, that comes into our lives, when we put our eyes on Jesus, those things become less important uh, and Jesus becomes much more important. And he needs to be elevated kind of in our eyes and lives. Ian Reid, Reverend Ian Reid Rido of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, New Zealand. Thank you so much again, brother, for your time. And your wisdom. And next time we're going to come on and look at uh, the rest of chapter 12, or at least verses 14 to 29. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review. This will help more people discover God's story for themselves. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com.